श्रीमद भगवतम ट्वेंटी नाइन भक्ति योगा वर्ष थर्टी सेवन श्री उद्धवा सेड ओ अनबॉर्न प्राइमीवियर लॉर्ड ऑल दो आई हैड फॉलन इन टू द ग्रेट डार्कनेस ऑफ इल्यूजन माई इग्नोरेंस हैज नाउ बीन डिस्पेल्ड बाई योर मर्सीफुल एसोसिएशन इंडीड हाउ कैन कोल्ड डार्कनेस एंड फियर एग्जर्ट देयर पावर ओवर वन हु हैज अप्रोच द ब्रिलियंट सन सो Uddhava is saying that in the last one lesson of entire, you know, Uddhav Gita, he has given different different answers to Uddhava, and the answers have been very precise. So you can use whichever answer that you want for your own development. So this is understood by Uddhava. So Uddhava is saying, "O unborn primeval Lord." Although I had fallen into great darkness of illusion, illusion is a part and parcel of our material world. Everything that happens around us is just an illusion. It happens in such a way that whatever we do, whatever we see, whatever we touch or feel, there is a medium in between us, and that medium is called the mind. so between an object and yourself there is always the mind and this mind doesn't allow you to see the object in clarity it is just like the glasses you know if when you wear a pair of glasses suppose i wear dark glasses then the entire world will look dark to me or if i have already a taste a bitter taste in my mouth when we have fever we have bitter taste in our mouth so then everything that you taste how does it taste it tastes bitter it's in the same way where some people cannot hear now if their hearing is just 5% or 10% then what are the, what are the words that they will hear their hearing would be in very small bits and very few things can be heard by those people right so taste changes when you have bitterness in your mouth if you have a hearing problem you will not be able to hear properly if you have a nasal block then you can't smell also properly your breathing also becomes difficult you know people have leprosy they cannot feel so even if there is a cut on their skin also they won't know so now think if everything is like this then the person who is observing the universe outside is using the mind to color itself so this world is always colored for that person so let us say if i have to see look at a watch the watch is supposed to tell me the time but when you look at a watch of a person who is wearing it do you know we don't see the time but we see the make we look at a watch and we say oh my god he is wearing a you know rolex watch oh, sir you are looking at the time you are supposed to look at the time not look at a rolex watch so what it, what does it speak 
this fellow must be very rich. He's got a lot of money. You're only supposed to see the time, period. Or the next thing is, suppose there is a call on the phone of your friend. And your friend is in the bathroom and you are taking the call. And the call is from his girlfriend or some such you know, person. You know what happens to you? You are also giving, uh, girlfriend is calling. Okay, she is calling every day. She may be calling at least 10 times in a day. What difference does it make? But why do you have to do like this? Oh, look at that. It's not important. Right? But what has come between that ringing phone and you? It is called the mind. So I hope you understood. Between every object and you, you is the, the one that you are, the self. There is always a coloring. So the world is always seen through these eyes of a mind. I hope you understood that. Any object, any human being that you see. Say, yesterday there was a no confidence motion in the Indian parliament. Which everybody knew that the ruling party is anyway going to win. There was no, there were no doubts about it. But what happened in that? So during that particular motion, there were speeches given. And the speeches were drawing attention to certain things. Everybody understood and yet judgments were made. You know, everybody was judging. We were judging everybody who was giving a speech. We were judging what was going to happen. We were judging why this particular motion was raised. Everything was a judgment. And politics is always judging. We judge everybody, isn't it? So, likewise, in the material world, everything is under judgment. And that is the reason why Uddhava says that I had fallen into the great darkness of illusion. This is illusory. Everything is illusory. Nobody can see the truth directly. Direct Truth is invisible to the eyes. It is unheard to the ears. It cannot be tasted. It cannot be touched also. Everything is concocted. Everything is illusion. If I have to look at the truth in the face, I should be able to take it. Let us say, if I have to tell you hmm, that your dress is torn, it is torn. You know, the first thing that happens is, oh my God, what, 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 has, what has gone wrong, you know? Why are you thinking like that? Go, okay, if it is stone, just cover it up. I mean, that's it. Beyond that, your mind has already given you stories. So, these stories are always illusory in nature. We make judgments on people. It is like, there is someone over here who talks. Okay? So, the impression was, okay, that person is talking to himself or herself. That means, little, you know, lose in the head, lose in the head. 
But yesterday the person clarified that no, I am talking to Krishna. I am saying good morning Krishna. How are you Krishna? I love you Krishna. You know those kind of words? So you think that person was talking nonsense? <laughs> no. But the illusion created in the world was, see, they are talking to themselves. So always we are judgmental in our approach because our mind comes in the way. And if you want to, you can observe every human being on around you. Everybody is judgmental. We are always constantly judging everything because we see everything through the mind's eye, not our eyes. Eye is an organ for observation, for vision, right? But we use it for judgments through the mind. That is the reason why he says the great darkness of illusion. My ignorance has now been dispelled by your merciful association. When you associate with Krishna, then all these problems go away. See, Krishna is black, dark in color. No? You can only see darkness if you were to observe Krishna. Now, think about it in a way where you see blue color in the sky. You, you see blue color in the sky? Now, if you travel up over there, is it actually blue? There is no blue. You look at the water, it appears with some color. There are lakes in this world which do not have any color at all. You can see right till the bottom of the lake because the lake is clear. So, Krishna's colors appear because of the hues that our mind gives. He will appear fair or dark depending on how you look at him. But actually, in reality, he has no color. He is like the entire universe out there, which is dark. You see, there, is, there, there are things which you should understand. The color white has got seven colors in it. Do you know? The only thing which doesn't have color in it is, it looks black. So, Krishna is not colored. But he appears grey stone, he appears blue to some people, he appears black to some people. He is without any color. Because he is not tainted. But can you see Krishna without any color? No, you cannot. When Ramakrishna Paramahansa said that I can talk to mother, everybody thought that mother is Kalima. Kali. Kali means black. No, she is not black in color. She has no color. No color means black. Correct? Just now only I explained to you. White means combination of seven colors. Black means no color at all. So, she is colorless. And colorless means there is nothing to taint her. So, you have to see God in that state. But because we cannot see, we want to see a form. You know, that way we cannot see God colorless. So, we need to see a form. 
so we see a, a kind of a form and when you associate with this form it is called you have to i mean look at it this way can you actually associate with a colorless entity <laughs> you cannot colorless invisible can you actually associate it's like an invisible man no you don't know where he is right exactly like that i don't know where you are so exactly like that so krishna takes a form for the purpose of the devotee and when he takes the form of a devotee the devotee has to understand the truth and what is the truth the truth is he is not colored you have to see him in a colorless state do not taint your mind while seeing him tainting mind is what i said just now only i explained to you every object that you see is already tainted by the mind so if it is tainted by the mind how can you see the object so see the object without the mind in the middle so remove the mind from the middle and then see the object when you see the object without the mind you will get the truth and the reality about it so this ignorance can be dispelled just by associating with the divine that is when you do association with krishna then everything gets dissolved not the mind with krishna so if you put krishna in between you and the universe there is a universe out there everything that you see touch feel is the universe use krishna krishna is the invisible one i told you it's just like these glasses which you know you can't see the glass there correct they are invisible sort of just imagine you put this invisible shield called krishna in between you and the world then everything will appear to you in reality in truth and you will not be disillusioned by anything in the world but if you put your mind in between everything is going to get colored everything is going to look different everything is going to appear with characteristics attributes you have to see the world with krishna in front of you so association with krishna is important put the association with invisible krishna in between you and the world okay he is like a glass or he is like that which will filter everything away indeed how can cold darkness and fear exert their power over one who has approached the brilliant sun first is cold here temperatures are 25 degrees and everybody feels cold 25 degrees temperature is a very acceptable temperature to everybody they would love to live in 22 and 20 and 18 degrees but 25 is cold to you so krishna's lessons are not making any impact on you see so wrong it is so how can cold react with you if you are devoted to krishna if your association is with krishna how can cold react with you no cold in this world will react with you you know all the yogis in this world they sit in in the himalayas without any clothes on correct they are sitting in this himalayas because no cold will affect them 
I told you between the cold, between that snow, between that ice, between all the cold that is there outside and them, what is there? The invisible Krishna is there. He is blocking the flow of the cold inside to them. So, if you can understand this, then you will know very well that he is like a blanket or he is like a raincoat or he is like a umbrella. So, everything that you see outside is shielded by Krishna and he will only allow that which you are supposed to get. So, no cold will affect you. Darkness. Yesterday, I gave a satsang on darkness. When a person is sleeping, the world appears dark to everybody. Right? When your eyes are closed, the world is dark. And when you open your eyes, everything is visible to your eyes and everything is visible and you can actually decipher what is there around you. But this darkness is actually ignorance. So, how can ignorance strike you? In dark, you can't see objects. That means there is ignorance there. You stumble across the room if you don't know what is there in the room. So, if you were to move in that darkness, just imagine between you and the objects in the room, there is Krishna. He is effulgent, self-effulgent. Did we say that? Self-effulgent. So, he is illuminating the objects in front of you. Now, we use the same example for the purpose of ignorance. There are objects, you know, every time when you say, I don't understand, I don't know, I don't know how things are done, blah, 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 all those things. Can you put Krishna in front of your eyes? Then everything in this world is visible to you. All knowledge is coming to you directly, right? Everything that you do in this world will happen in clockwork precision. Only if you put Krishna in between you and that object. Fear. People are fearful of everything which is not known. Suppose there is a, you know, a small burrow, a hole in the ground. Can you put your hand inside that? No. You will not put your hand inside that burrow, isn't it? Because you think that either there is a rat over there or a snake or something which is going to eat you up. It may be a tiny creature. It is going to eat you up. You can eat that creature instead of that. But fear is the one which rules us. Again, darkness. In darkness, fear is very much there. Now, there is a dark room. And I just put one thought in your mind. There is a ghost in that room. You think you will go inside there? <laughs> so, exactly like that. Your mind tells you, it's a dark room. You be careful huh? over there. You will never go there. Fear is also when we are in awe of certain objects or certain people. If you were to meet Ravana, would you be fearful? See, if you have to meet someone like a villainous character which you think he is a villainous person, you are going to be afraid. Now, way back in the past, I had seen 
movies where Danny Dangzompa was a very great villain. And one day I was supposed to go and meet him. Now he is a huge person. I mean he must be six feet tall or something like that. And he is well built. And I was actually afraid to go and meet him. Because you see the moment Mr. Danny Dangzompa. Oh my God. I was afraid to meet him. <laughs> he was not going to do anything to me. On the contrary he was very cordial. He treated me nicely. He made me sit over there, give me a soft drink, spoke to me for a few minutes and I was really very happy meeting him. <laughs> but just because of that imagery which I had in mind about Danny, I was very much afraid. So fear ruled. This happened many years ago. I think in 1988 or so. I don't recollect when now. <laughs> I think 90. I think. So... This, these are the fears which we create in our minds. Even with me over here, now, there are many people who are afraid to even call me and talk to me. They will talk to somebody else and say, you know, can you please talk to Guruji? There is no need to go via. There is a phone call, there is a message book, there is everything there. You, I am available online. They can call me directly. I am not an ogre over here who is going to eat them up or something like that, you know. So, the idea that there is fear, there, there need not be fear. Even in awe, you should not be afraid. If tomorrow, if I have to meet Narendra Modi or one of these, you know, great world leaders, or Mr. Putin, you think I should be afraid? I need not be afraid. That person is a human being and you should meet that person. How much of fear was created of the North Korean leader? You remember? The North Korean leader is having a very tiny country and we are afraid. So, this is where the problem lies that we should not be afraid. So, if we have Krishna in between our eyes and that person, then there will be no fear at all. So, Uddhava says, these three things go away from a person. First is cold. Cold means no elements will hurt us. No elements of nature. No fire, no cold, no heat, nothing is going to hurt us or come in between us and Krishna. Second is darkness, ignorance. Ignorance is not going to make us lose our way because we are now effulgent. We have knowledge within us. And the third one is fear. There will be no fear because when you have God on your side, can you be afraid? Is there anybody on this planet earth whom you should be afraid of? No. You can easily win any wars. You can easily win any talks or whatever. If you take the name of God, if you take Krishna's name, then everything will be smooth flowing. So he says, when I have the brilliant sun with me, why do I need to be afraid? In return for my insignificant surrender, you have mercifully bestowed upon me, your servant, the torchlight of transcendental knowledge. Therefore, what devotee of yours who has any gratitude, 
could ever give up your lotus feet and take shelter of another master. Right? So he says, Uddhava is saying to Krishna, in return of my insignificant surrender. Why is he saying insignificant? Because as a human being, you are insignificant in God's, you know, in front of God, isn't it? We are all very tiny creatures. It's like an ant, you know, telling, okay, I surrender. Just imagine an ant waving, waving a white flag to you. Huh? The ant has come to bite you and it is then waving a white flag to you. I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. Just think of that. How insignificant is that? You know, with your little finger, you can tap the ant and kill it. Hmm? So, something like that. So, here he is saying, I am an insignificant person and I have surrendered. And you have mercifully bestowed upon me. What have you mercifully bestowed upon me? All these factors which we discussed. You know, today I don't feel cold. That means no elements can hurt me. I don't have ignorance with me. I have, you know, no fear whatsoever. So, what you have bestowed upon me? You have bestowed your grace upon me. Your servant, the torchlight of transcendental knowledge. You have given me this divine knowledge. The divine knowledge of who you are, how this entire universe is, what happens around us, everything, including my own self. I have realized who I am. Now I know who I am. I am a part of your entire creation and I am one with you. So, I am there with you. I know that now. Therefore, what devotee of yours who has any gratitude could ever give up your lotus feet and take shelter of another master? So, which devotee of yours wants to go to some other master? Because if you are the supreme master, do I have to go and take refuge at any other master's feet? No. Even in my world, what I do is, when people come to me, I tell them that they have to be reverential and devoted to their own masters, whoever they might be. The reason is because your master is the greatest, whoever he might be, he, she might be. It is We should never bother about that, pers that individual or that person, whoever he is, he is the supreme master. That's it, period. So, when people came to me and they said, you know, I asked them, oh, you have come to me, for what reason? So, they will say, I have come to learn Gita or some such kind of a thing. So, I asked them, do you have a spiritual teacher? So, they may say, yes, I have a spiritual teacher. Then it is not my duty to override that person. I can be an assistant to that individual, but I cannot override that person. No, I am not allowed to. Because that person is that pers the other person's master or teacher. We should never try to say that I know better. Never. Because the moment you say I know better or my master has taught me this, I know better than you, we, we are actually deriding a person. So, we should not do that in first place. Secondly, if you are there to listen, just listen and go away. Satsangs are meant for hearing, isn't it? We can hear a satsang. We don't have to be judgmental. We can take what is good from the satsang and leave the rest out. So, if there are some unpalatable things, you can just leave that out, isn't it? But in Krishna's term, in Krishna's world, it is complete reverse. When Krishna is your master, 
there can be nobody in this entire universe who can be your master. So Uddhava says that which devotee will give you up and go to another master? Krishna's way of teaching is very unique. He doesn't teach everybody everything. No. Look at the gopis. He never taught them everything. You know, very, very funny story is about Uddhava, the same person, Uddhava. Now he is a great scholar. So he has learned the Uddhav Gita from Krishna. So after this Uddhav Gita is over, he goes to Vrindavan also. And during his lifetime also he goes to Vrindavan. And there he meets the gopis. Those gopis are uncouth villagers. You know, they are dressed in their own way. And they have their own methods of devotion. Now, Uddhava finds this devotional method not appealing to him. He says, this is not how you should be. So, he gathers the gopis around him and he starts giving them a lesson. He gives them a lesson in, you know, the esoteric sciences. <laughs> and the gopis look at him. And they just look at him and after a very long time, he looks at them and asks, did you understand? The gopis look at him and say, no, we didn't understand. Not a word. Then what were you looking at me for? They say, you look like Krishna. And that is the only reason why we were looking at you. <laughs> he appeared to them as Krishna. And they were only looking at him because they just were in love with him. So devotees of the Lord are like that. They don't really, you know, some devotees do not understand a word of what is being taught. Some devotees sleep. So <laughs> it does not really matter. The understanding should be that Everybody is given what they are supposed to get. So Krishna's method of teaching is very, very unique. You know, sometimes he teaches tangentially. Tangentially means it's never straightforward. If he has to convey some meaning to someone in a different way, he will go and look in another direction and talk to another person. In Marathi, we have a saying, Leki bole sune lage. Means what? Sun means daughter-in-law and lake means daughter. So the mother-in-law speaks to the daughter hoping that the daughter-in-law will understand. But you know, human beings are stubborn creatures. There is a very big filter here in between. You know, I told you the filter is called the mind. So everything goes inside through that mind and nobody understands. Every mother-in-law thinks that the daughter-in-law is a villain. Now, just imagine if there is a daughter-in-law who is sitting in front of you. I mean, you may be the mother-in-law and, and for 2-3 months, she just listens to whatever you are saying. Okay. Suppose she just listens. And if you have taught her cooking, just imagine, she creates a dish which is exact reverse of what you have taught. So, the mother-in-law thinks, my daughter-in-law is going against me. No. That daughter-in-law has her own mind, isn't it? 
and she would like to give what she wants to cook for her husband. So she is not doing anything wrong. But the mother-in-law looks at the same equation. This is against me. The whole world is against me and especially my daughter-in-law is against me. And she has been taught by her parents. Right? So this is how our mind is disturbed. Human beings are like that. Like this mother-in-law and daughter-in-law story. Never get disturbed. Now, if Krishna is the teacher, take his teachings not with a pinch of salt. Take his teachings as they are. As they are means he is telling you something. So, listen. If you can listen to some words from somewhere. You know, when I said, you know, if the mother speaks to the daughter and it is applicable to the daughter-in-law, and if you overhear words when Krishna is speaking to X, Y or Z, and if you overhear those words, then those words are meant for you. It is not that they are not meant for you, they are meant for you. That is why you are listening to those words. So, you better implement them in your life as well. You got what I am saying or no? And using the mind for the proper purpose is very important. Not misusing the mind. Mind is a tool to be used, not to be misused. So, this is what Krishna is the highest teacher and a person should never leave him and go to any other teacher if he is your teacher. That is what Uddhava says to Krishna. He says, you are my teacher. I cannot have any other teacher whatsoever. By the way, when he goes from there to some other place, he has got other teachers also. <laughs> he listens to everybody, including Brahmaji. He spends uh, most of his life finally in Pushkar. Afterwards, the firmly binding rope of my affection for the families of Dasaras, Vrishnis, Andakas and Satvatas. A rope you originally cast over me by your illusory energy for the purpose of developing your creation is now cut off by the weapons of transcendental knowledge of the self. So, in this verse, Uddhava is telling Krishna, you know my association with different different tribes, countries, place, families, relationships, all that was cut off. Dasaras, Vrishnis, Andakas and Satvatas. We come from a particular domains. We belong to a certain country. Right? We belong to a certain religion. We belong to a certain faith. We belong to a certain community, a caste, a creed, a religion, like that, everything. We belong somewhere in our normal life. We are family members of certain families. Somebody's husband, somebody's wife, somebody's child, somebody's grandchild, whoever. You are somebody related to. And you have the world is related to you in this manner. So, he says, all these relationships that are there, from caste, community, creed, religion, country, whatever, all these bindings have been severed. 
Severed means you have cut off my relations with everybody and everything in this world. So Uddhava is telling Krishna, this is what you have done to me. You have cut off this rope which was originally cast over me by your illusory energy. The Maya has cast this rope. The Maya tells me, oh, I belong to India. I am an Indian. Okay, I belong to Karnataka. So, I am a Kannadiga. Right? I belong to, you know, Vokaligas. As I am a Vokaliga. What are you talking about? I belong to a particular place. Alright? I am from, say, Hubli. You are from Hubli. You are from this. You are from that. All these are just names. My family's name, I am just giving some uh, names, okay? My family's name is Hegde. So, I am a Hegde. My father is XYZ Hegde. No. <laughs> I have a sister, I have a brother, I have, I have a mother who is like this. Then I have a wife. Then I have children. And I stay in one house. Everything that I said is a binding is a rope which is holding me to that object. It is a binding. And Krishna, with this knowledge of yours, you have severed that rope. You have cut this rope. A rope you are originally cast over me by your original illusory energy for the purpose of developing the creation. That particular creation of community, religion, country, place, you name it, you know, family and everything is because it was for creation. It was for creating a homogeneous society. Is now cut off by the weapon of transcendental knowledge of the self. So, this knowledge which you have given me has severed every rope, every relationship, every binding that is there. And now I know that the only relationship that I have is you alone. So, my country is you. My state is you. Right? Everything is you. My father is you. My mother is you. My brother, sister. Everybody is you. You are my child. You are my wife. You are my grandchildren. You are everything to me. And I am just that tiny insignificant person in front of you. And they, I do not have any other relationship of any kind except with you. So this is the meaning of this word. Obeisance unto you, O greatest of the yogi, please instruct me who have surrendered unto you how I may have undeviating attachment to your lotus feet. So now that I have personally surrendered to you, where I have called you father, mother, brother, sister, everything. You are my country also. You are my world also. You are my universe also. Everything is you. I have only one person in my life. And that is you alone. When I have you and I have surrendered to you, so please instruct me how I need to have undeviating attachment to your lotus feet. That means how I should be attached only to your feet and nothing else. Now this is a big verse, so it may take two days to complete. Maybe. I don't know. So let us see. I will read the verse 3-4 times during the course. The Supreme Personality of Godhead said, My dear Uddhava, 
take my order and go to my ashram called Badrika. Purify yourself by both touching and also bathing in the holy waters there, which have emanated from my lotus feet. Rid yourself of all the sinful reaction with the sight of the sacred Alakananda river. Dress yourself in bark and eat whatever is naturally available in the forest. Thus you should remain content and free from desire, tolerant of all dualities, good-natured, self-controlled, peaceful, endowed with transcendental knowledge and realization. With fixed attention, meditate constantly upon these instructions I have imparted to you and assimilate their essence. Fix your words and thoughts upon me and always endeavor to increase your realization of my transcendental qualities. In this way, you will cross beyond the destination of the three modes of nature and finally come back to me. It's a very lengthy verse, isn't it? So, this verse is teaching us certain things. So, first we will do what it teaches Uddhava. Then I will teach what but what it is teaching you? Uddhava has finally understood everything that was told to him. So he awaits instructions of Krishna. What is the next step that I got to do? So before I open this, I will tell you what is the next step that any human being is supposed to do. First is to listen carefully. Listening is very important. So, first you keep your mouth shut. If this particular passage is there and Uddhava keeps on asking, but, but, you know, but, 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 you know, we like to say but, but, but all the time. So, then there will be no knowledge which is coming forth, isn't it? So, first you need to listen. Listening is important. Disciplining your mind is important because your mind will chatter when the words are said. Think about it. So, suppose if I have to tell you that, you know, we had gone for a movie and I am describing the movie to you. This person was acting like this and he did this and he did that. Your mind has immediately thrown some kind of a reaction and that reaction you would like to convey. But first you need to keep quiet and listen. So, listening is very, very important. Second thing. If your spiritual master is giving you certain instructions, they are extremely important to be followed. Following the instructions to the T is very, very important. Not doing them according to your own whims and fancies. If you do them in your own time frame, in your own whims and fancies, then they are not called instructions. Okay. What is the instruction that is given? The instruction says, Go to A, do B, then you are supposed to work with C, so on and so forth. These instructions are very clear. So, let us say if your master says you are supposed to do sadhana. Sadhana is practice. How do you do practice? Discipline is important. Getting up in time, doing your work in time, not saying that, you know, I was cooking in the kitchen and it took me two hours to do one vegetable. It's not a done thing. 
if you have only that much amount of time, use all that you get in this world to do that stuff. And you need to train yourself in doing that. That is why sadhana is important. Sadhana is important. Right or wrong? So you have to learn to discipline yourself perfectly. How do you do that? By example, you have to follow examples in your life. You look at the people around you. If they are disciplined, take the good stuff from them. Discipline yourself with their examples. If you are an athlete, take the example of the best athlete that is there. Okay? If you are a singer, take inspiration from the best singer that is there. Isn't it? We always take inspiration from good people. So, discipline yourself in the way they are doing their job. You know, Dwayne Johnson. He's got so much muscle. He must be working 5-6 hours a day in the gym. I don't know how many hours he works, but yes, you have to really work very hard. Amir Khan, for any role, how much of energy does he put in? There was a movie called Gajani. I am sure you have seen the way he's developed his muscles and all those kind of things. Tremendous amount of. So, we have to discipline ourselves by looking at these good people. Don't take the bad stuff from them. Somebody might be drinking, somebody might be smoking, somebody might be doing something wrong. But we are supposed to focus on their good stuff only, not the bad stuff. Suppose there is an actor who is a lecherous character. He's got 100 girlfriends. But if when he is to work in the gym, he is working perfectly. So take that aspect of his life, not the aspect which is bad. Right? So we always have to take the good stuff from people, not the bad stuff. So whatever that is taught by Krishna, whatever that is taught by your teacher, you have to take it as a gospel truth and do exactly the way it is being told to do. Not the way your mind tells you to do. Your mind is anyway going to keep on telling you a lot of nonsense. Don't listen to the mind. You have to listen to Krishna. You have to listen to your master. You are supposed to listen to whoever is giving you instruction clearly, perfectly. There was a movie where we saw Dangal. There is a trainer. The father is teaching his daughters. And he tells them that you are supposed to do this and this and this. When they do that, they become great. Isn't it? So, the father was a master over there. Likewise, we have teachers. We are supposed to listen to them. At the end of the teaching, at the end of that, so suppose you have finished your teaching. It is important to ask from your master, what is it that I have to do? It is extremely important. To go towards your path of Swadharma, it is important to find out from your master. In my case also, I had to do this. In the initial stages, I didn't like what was being told to me. Yeah, I may not like. But that is what I got to do. And once I started doing it, I started liking what I was told to do. So here, Krishna is telling Uddhava exactly what he is supposed to do. He says very clearly, Go to my ashrama called Badrika. Badrika ashram is there in the Himalayas. So, first go over there. Just imagine 
Uddhava saying, oh my God, I feel very cold. You know, if I go over there, I will be sleeping for 18 hours. Is that done? Instructions are very clear. Go to Badrika Ashram. So, if you have to go to Badrika Ashram, you are not going there to go and sleep, no? You are going there for certain work. Certain instructions are given to you. So, you have to follow the instructions. So, even if someone is told to go someplace, they are supposed to follow the instructions to the T. Absolutely the way they have been given. Then only you will be able to finally see the last thing he says, finally come back to me. Isn't it? The last word was this. So, if the instructions have come from your master, they have to be followed exactly the way they have to be, they are given. There can be no deviation from it. You cannot take, you know, like suppose you are told, take bath in 5 minutes. You cannot take 50 minutes to take a bath or 15 minutes to take a bath. Your bath has to finish in 5 minutes. Come whatever may. I hope you understand this much. You know, it is a, it's a word which you need to keep. If you have been told to write an essay, please write an essay in the given time. Don't say, I can't write in 15 minutes. The world can write, you can't write. Follow the way the world does. You know, the greatest of the masters, they can do this in the shortest period of time also. You can also do, everybody can do. So, follow the instructions, you will be able to succeed and then you will understand the immense capability you have. Every person has a capability. We have never used our potential to the highest. And your master's job is to, you know, use your potential so that you become somebody great in this world. Your master is not interested in deriding you or making a mincemeat of you or all those kind of things which people say. No. He is interested in your growth. So, he will tell you something which is very, very important. So, you are capable, do it and always excel. Excellent, excellence in everything is a must. So, we have not been able to start this verse. So, tomorrow we will do this verse. So, we have ended at verse 40, 40. Tomorrow we will do 41 to 44. Like I said, I, I will continue this verse at least 3-4 times. Read it. So that you get an understanding of this verse. So I will stop over here. And I will see you all tomorrow. Take care. Have a nice day.